Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and I want to take a quick second before we get started to welcome you and let you know we are so glad that you chose to make us a part of your faith journey this week. We're in an awesome series called Teleos, a brief guide to something we like to call here at the Foundry as God's intended reality for your life. We explore how you can be complete as God is complete, and we can't wait to share it with you. We want to encourage you, share this podcast if with anybody you know, friends, family, and we would love to see you for one of our in-person services in Central Florida on a Sunday morning. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to our preaching team who is excited to bring you this incredible message. Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or in the World Wide Webs. Thank you for being here. My name is Seth. This is The Foundry, and we are all about a better you and a better world. Um, In case you haven't been here, it's been nine weeks, shame on you, that we've been in this series. If If you haven't been here in nine weeks... Come on. Uh, we've been doing this series called Telios. This comes from, uh, from Matthew chapter 548. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you've been here all nine weeks, you know this speech. This is the last time you have to hear it for a while. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But what we've discovered is that in the original Greek text, the word for perfect is the word telios, which doesn't mean perfection as the way we think of perfection. It means actually to be complete or to be whole. So Jesus isn't saying be perfect like God is perfect. He's saying be whole or be complete the way your heavenly Father is complete. That's what we base this whole series on. So we've been looking at the story of creation, and we've been looking at this picture of shalom or completeness that is found in the story of creation, what we also call God's intended reality. And what we see in God's intended reality, how he designed everything to function, is that what we see is that there are these four key, four essential relationships, which is what this logo is. So you have the proper relationship with God, the self, with others, and with creation. We've done these three things, God, self, others, and creation. Last week we start, or sorry, God, self, others, this, last week we started creation, this week we will end creation. So last week, hold on. Is there a, I was wondering, is there like a, I got a new watch, and (laughs) I should say my wife got a new watch, and so I got an old watch that's new to me. Um, Is there a preaching setting on the Apple tracking? Is that a thing? Should it be? It should be, shouldn't it? I mean, I feel like I'm burning calories and I'm not getting the credit for it. That's that's a side note. Let's talk about the sermon. Sorry. (laughs) So, last week, last week, last week, uh, we talked about how the story of the Bible begins with God creating all things and then creating man, placing man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. We talked about how when you look at the world we live in, and we talked about the, uh, like the, the garbage mountains, we talked about the Pacific trash vortex, we talked about the extinction of species, and, and how it's like we've kind of missed the mark when it comes to this instruction to care for creation. We talked about how um, we are deeply connected to this place. We talked about, if you remember, the walking barefoot, the getting the hands in the soil and the microbes that are there to help release the, the production of serotonin within the body, which helps you to feel happier and more relaxed. We talked about the connection we have to, to this place through our breath, through our breathing, through the plants going through this photosynthesis and us going through this process of respiration, Now it all works together. We talked about how uh, creation was God's primary revelation of himself or the original word of God. And the idea of the whole thing, the larger thought, was that 
as we deplete, destroy this world that we live in, not only are we out of line, out of sync with God's intended reality, but also how we are essentially silencing the very voice that's speaking to us about the nature and character of God. So this week, I want to talk about what we call the original commission. Okay, in the story of creation, we see God's intended reality, and then we see God's original commission to humanity. How it is that humanity was originally intended to operate within God's creation, which ultimately speaks to things like purpose and identity and who we are, that kind of thing. So there's two different uh, passages in the story of creation that I want to look at that I think reveal to us this original commission, okay? So the first one, Genesis 128, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We also looked at this last week, but this is a part of it as well. Uh, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So between these two verses, I believe that, um, that comprise like the human, human responsibility for the earth that God created, uh, I believe that there are six, uh, six instructions here. You could make a case for seven, I understand that. I prefer six because I believe there's some overlap, uh, but six things that make up the original, uh, the original commission. So here's the list. Be fruitful. Increase in number, fill the earth, that's the overlap, that's where you could, you could do separate and make seven, which would actually be complete, which would actually be a better fit for this, I should have done that, I apologize. Uh, subdue it, rule over it, work it, and to care for it. So what I want to do is I want to show you the, uh, the Hebrew word for these, I'm probably going to pronounce them wrong, if you are Hebrew, I apologize. Uh, but I'm going to show you the Hebrew words, and I want to give you an expanded definition of these words, because I believe when you see this and understand these words like in their fullness, it creates it's a picture for us that um, maybe we've overlooked, misunderstood, maybe we haven't got the full like, concept of, okay? So let's go through this. The first one is this, is be fruitful, which is the word para, I think. <laughs> it looks like that, sounds like that, sure. This refers to fruitfulness, obviously, but it's less about the fruitfulness of self and more of a command for you to help other things be fruitful, It has to do with the giving of our attention and taking care of a particular thing so that that particular thing can flourish in and of itself. This isn't as much about you being fruitful as it is about you helping the people and the things around you to bear fruit. The second thing is the word rabah, which is to increase in number, and then I tied that to fill the earth. This one is kind of what it says it, says it is. It, uh, rabah means to like rear offspring. So it's the idea of you're growing in numbers, but along with the growing in numbers, the idea is that you fill the earth, that you expand into the various places. So it kind of speaks to this idea of diversification. You're moving into various aspects and components of the world. But there's this other uh, component to this word that in a couple Hebrew dictionaries I found um, that this word does not just connect to the increase of people, but the increase of like creatures, the increase of thought, the increase of knowledge, right? So procreation is a part of this, but it's not limited to only the idea of procreation. The third thing is subdue the earth. This word is really interesting, kabas. Okay, so if you look at this, the, the root, like literal word of, of, uh, that's used here for subdue, uh, it's actually not so positive upon first glance. Uh, the definition says, to make slaves, to rape women, and to dominate the earth. Isn't it interesting that those three things we put together, it's almost like this mindset of I just take what I want. There's this 
exploitation type mindset built into that. But knowing what we know about the rest of the commission, um, this doesn't really fit so well. And actually, if you dig a little bit deeper into this word, what you'll find is that this word is actually tied to the idea of like a kiln or a furnace, which like has to do with glass making and, and pottery and stuff. And so the idea is not to exploit the things, but this idea is connected to shaping and molding and forming, right? So it's not I just take what I want and do as I please and, you know, it's no, 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 there's, there's something in here, there's a responsibility for me to guide and shape and mold as if you were this glass blower. What's the glass blower do? Continually shaping and molding and spinning. And Then you have the word uh, radah, which is to rule. This has to do with our responsibility, obviously, uh, uh, to care for the earth. And this isn't, uh, we're in charge, so we just do as we please. This, is, this isn't a medieval king who demands things from the villagers to the point that they also become poor and destitute. This is a kingly responsibility to his people, where his job is to care for the people in a way that is good for the entirety of the kingdom. So we have this responsibility to care for the gift of creation that we've been handed as if we are ruling over it as good, just, wise rulers that want the benefit of all, that are working for the benefit of all in the kingdom. Then you have the word abad, which means to work. This means to, to serve, to labor. It's even connected to this idea of worship, that there's some connection between working to bring order within creation and worshiping and honoring God. So part of the way that we honor, that we show the divine, that we are grateful, that we worship God is by taking care of the gift of creation that he has given us. And then you have care, which is samar. This means to keep watch, to observe, to guard, and to protect this place that is our home. So when you begin to understand the original commission, you start to see that life really isn't about what we might call the American dream about the pursuit of more, about the acquiring of more and more stuff, about climbing the corporate ladder, about being the commander of the universe. What you see is that life is about relationship, and it's about stewardship, and it's about balance, and it's about connection. Now, there's this incredible story about a guy named Jadev Peying. We've talked about this guy once before, but I figured he was worth mentioning in this moment because it ties into this whole idea of original commission. Jadev, Jadev Peying is this uh, Indian man from a remote part of India. He um, born and raised there. He lives near this place called the Bamaputra River, Bamaputra River, something like that. Uh, it's the 10th largest river in the world, like 15th longest river in the world. In 1979, when he was about 16 years old, the river flooded, and it caused all kinds of damage. He went to go check out the damage after the uh, floodwaters had subsided, and what he saw was in the middle of the Bamaputra River, if I'm saying that correctly, um, is that there was all these dead animals on this uh, sandbar, on this island, right? And, th and this is like a large, this isn't like going to the Indian River and seeing like a little sandbar, you pull your boat up to it. This is a large sandbar, like it's, it's almost like a small island. They say it's approximately like 3,000 square, or 3,000 acres or something like that, five square miles of, of a sandbar. So this is a large, large place. And so he saw all these dead animals that, were all, that got stranded on the island that had no like, uh, shelter or no way to provide for themselves, and he felt like this was a, like a senseless thing, and it did something to him. And, and from that moment in 1979 when he was 16, he began to plot a course that would change his life as well as the life of this sandbar, this island. So he began to plant things. 
He wanted to do something about it. He began to plant things. He started with a few bamboo saplings. And then like every day for the past 42 years, he's been taking stuff and planting stuff, doing this all by hand, this one little Indian guy doing this all by hand. He would carry, like, he would carry uh, cow manure to the island. He would carry bird droppings. He would carry ants. He would carry seeds. He would carry seedlings. And he would help to fertilize and cultivate the soil so that it wasn't just sand. There was more to it so that things could grow. And over the course of the past 40 years, this thing that he started has now grown into a forest. It's actually like a registered forest. It's called the Malai Forest. There's been documentaries filmed about this guy's life and the work that he's done. And it's so much of a forest now that there's all kinds of, there's Bengal tigers, there's rabbits and all kinds of birds and monkeys. There's even a herd of like 100 elephants that come and frequent this sandbar island refuge thing. Let me show you a picture of the before and after. Here's, here's kind of what it looked like before. It's a, it's a large place, it's a desolate place. He hasn't filled the whole island yet, right? There's, this is still part of what part of it looks like now. But let me show you what the other parts that he has been working looks like. So he went from a lifeless sandbar to an actual forest that now is the home of all kinds of wildlife in just a couple of years. This illustrates to me the concept of the original commission. He took responsibility for creation. He became, stewards, he became a steward for its well-being. He worked in nature, with nature, to create something beautiful. He helped creation to become fruitful, to flourish. He helped to guide and shape and create new life, this new life-giving and, and sustaining world. He stepped into relationship and connection with creation, and the result was a, a something that's absolutely incredible. When you begin to understand the depth and significance of this idea of the original commission, you can start to see that when you make your life simply about the acquiring of more stuff, bigger, faster, more, better, whatever, it's almost like you're acquiring all this stuff that you think will make you happy and fulfilled, and, but yet what it's actually doing is moving you to a place of being a bit more disconnected. Like the things that you're pursuing in the name of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose might in fact be counterproductive to the things that will actually bring you like fulfillment and purpose, the thing that you're actually after. The, the original commission, it elevates and it brings value to the relationship between humanity and creation. It gives guidance and direction to what it means to be human how we engage this reality. It highlights this idea of connection and relationship. It reveals the interconnectedness and interdependence of all things. It shows us that God and humanity and creation are in fact like deeply entwined. It serves to bring a sense of maybe even like sacredness, maybe even a sense of holiness to the nature, to, the very, like, to our very existence. Now, let's talk about wholeness as holiness. 
So there are a couple interactions in the Old Testament between God and man uh, that we see, they say Old Testament, happening in the Old Testament. I want to look at these because I think these give us something to think about as in this like much larger conversation we're talking about. So the first one comes from, to us from the story of Moses. If you're familiar with Moses, he kills a guy in Egypt. He goes on the run. He flees to an area called Midian. He meets a girl. He gets married. He takes care of her dad's sheep, all this great stuff. One day he's out being a shepherd in the desert, and then he stumbles across this tree that's on fire but it's not burning up. Moses in the burning bush, you know this thing? And so like every normal person would do when they see a tree that's on fire but it's not burning, they have a conversation with it and then they talk about life and like the larger things of life, like, you know, normal. Yeah, that's just the thing I do. Um, but at the beginning of the conversation, uh, they're, they're interacting and, and this is what, uh, what God says to Moses. Exodus 3. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. So the talking fire shrub that's identified as God says that the place where you are standing is holy, and there's something about the holiness of this ground that requires the removing of the sandals from his feet. Now, there's another story found in the book of Joshua. Joshua becomes the leader of the 12 tribes after the death of Moses. They've crossed the Jordan River. They're moving into the promised land. They're just outside of Jericho, like, like moments before the battle of Jericho. And in that moment, they're having this meal. It's like the first meal that they've, that they've had that's not quail and manna. It's this first meal from the, from the fruits of the promised land. And the angel of the, the commander of the Lord's army shows up like magically. He just appears like out of thin air. He appears, and then he has a conversation with Joshua, and he says this. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals, the place where you're standing is holy. So apparently, according to these stories, there's a place in Midian where the ground is holy, and there's this place near Jericho where the ground is also holy, and in both instances, the instructions from God concerning the holiness of the land is to remove the shoes, remove the sandals. Is the removal of the sandals because of the holiness of the ground about preventing something? Is it about preventing something, right? Don't walk or step on the holy place because you don't wanna like mess that area up. It's like when I tell my kids, take off the shoes at the front door so they don't track dirt on the carpet, right? Don't mess this up. The living room is the holy place. Don't, I don't want the sand in the carpet. Is this about preventing something or is the removal of sandals because of the holiness of the ground about allowing something to happen. Is God wanting to prevent the messing up of the holy place in this sacred little area, or is the removal of the sandals about allowing for something to happen? That by taking off the sandals, Moses and Joshua might be more connected to the divine. There's another story about a guy named Jacob. You may have heard of him. He fell asleep on a rock. He had this crazy dream, angels up and down the ladders, this whole thing, you know what I'm talking about. He wakes up from this dream, and he says something really interesting. He woke up from his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. So either the ground was only holy in these three moments, in these three times, in these locations because of the presence of God. It was only holy in Midian because God showed up in that time and that moment. It was only holy because God showed up near Jericho in that time and that place. It was only holy when Jacob fell asleep in that time and that moment. 
or it's all always holy. The ground is always holy, and like Jacob, we must wake up to the reality of the presence of God that is always everywhere, even beneath our feet. And it's the removal of the sandals and the direct connection to this ground which embodies the holiness of God that helps us to tune into and experience the reality on a much deeper level. Is there a holiness to the ground that we walk on? Well, what did Paul say in the book of Romans that we talked about last week? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Being clearly seen from what has been made. If God is holy, which I believe he is, and I believe this would fall under the category of like divine nature, invisible quality, that sort of thing, and that these things of God can be understood through creation, which is this tangible expression of the love of God, of the word of God, then maybe there's something to this holy ground thing. Maybe there's something to this removing of the sandals thing. It's kind of a similar thought to our our buddy from the 14th century, the German theologian Meister Eckhart, where he said this, if humankind could have known God without the world, God would have never created the world. If humankind could have known God without the world, God would have never created the world. So both Paul and Eckhart here seem to have the same basic awareness and understanding that part of the way that you experience the various aspects of God is through the tangible realities of the material world. That God is revealing God's self in and through that which has been created out of God's self. So to remove the sandals then is to remove the things that separate humans from God. To remove the sandals is to bring together creator and creation. To remove the sandals is to step into a much larger understanding of the oneness of all things. To remove the sandals is to connect with the source of our being, which is where wholeness and completeness is found. Be complete, like your heavenly Father is complete. To remove the sandals is to be connected with the source of our being. To to remove the sandals is to remove... Uh, to be reminded that life and breath and all of creation is in fact sacred because it's in these things that the holiness of God can be experienced. Now, when you start to consider the various forms of connection that we talked about last week, right? The benefits of walking barefoot, the having the hands in the soil, the the, the connection to the breath and, and the world that we live in, If you take all of that, all the stuff in in light of connection, and then you add in this stuff that we've just kind of talked about, right? The original commission uh, speaks to this relationship and balance and connection. You have the concepts, these ideas of the holiness of the ground and God's invitation to remove the sandals, as well as this idea that God can be known through the physical realities of the world. When you take all these things and you start to add them together, To me, it should create within us this new level and depth about our understanding and our connection to all things. And maybe this is why in the story of creation that once God created things, he called them good. Maybe this speaks to the fullness of the life and what it means to be human. 
And maybe it's a lack of understanding some of these things that, that leads many people to this place of feeling a bit small and a bit insignificant. In the origin story of Genesis, we see that after six days of creating, God takes the seventh day to rest, and what does he call it? He said, it's all good, and then watch what he says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So in the Bible, the number seven represents wholeness, it represents perfection, it represents completeness, it represents holiness. This alone to me is quite telling and may serve as like this framework through which one should perceive the fundamental realities of life and our existence. Think about everything that happens leading up to this point in the story, about the whole story of creation. The moments before, he declares the whole thing good. The moments before, he declares day seven, the day of completeness, as holy. You have God, the one who is one. You have the, the, the one from one source, all material, all that is life comes into existence. This material that is then used to shape the physical constructs of the entirety of the universe as we know it, the earth, the plants, the animals, the stars, the planets, and everything in between. This source of life that is God then creates, uh, then, then empowers all that he's created to also create more of itself. So creation is continuing to expand and to continue to grow out because everything can produce more of itself. Then from this same very materials used to create all things, this life-giving source that is God creates humans. And then he gives humans this incredible responsibility to shape and guide and nurture this place from which they have been created and through which they are connected. They are so deeply connected to this place that their physical physical well-being is tied to their ability to carry out their responsibility. All that is is contingent upon everything else. All things are dependent upon each other. The universe is a symbiotic relationship because the universe is relationship. This whole thing is one. There is one source of life and it's connected and all of life is connected to one source. And when all things are living in harmony and proper relationship with one another, everything and everyone is better for it. In the first six days of the, of the creation story, we see this movement from the wholeness of one, the one who was one through which all things has come. By the end of the seventh days, you have the wholeness of the whole thing, the wholeness of all things as one. And so when everything is in its place, when everything is in order, when there is balance, when there is the proper relationship amongst all that is, the one who is one, the one who is the source of all that is, that is God, takes a moment to pause, to admire the goodness, to announce the goodness of what has been created, and then to take a day and to call it holy. On the seventh day, which is a symbol of holiness, which is a symbol of completeness, which is a symbol of, uh, of fulfillment, the one who is holy, who is the source of all things, proclaims that that day and that moment is holy. It's all holy. It's all sacred. To understand that it's all holy and that it's all sacred should be essential to our understanding of absolutely everything, which means that how we live, how we operate, we should function in a way in which we treat the self, each other, 
creation, God. We should treat all of it as if it's holy and sacred. That we seek not just the good of self, but the good of all, because the good of all is ultimately the good of self. It's, it's wholeness that sits at the heart of God. It's wholeness that sits at the heart of God's created order. It's wholeness, uh, it's wholeness that is the desire of all aspects of the universe. Remember we talked about the atoms all moving to one another, the free radicals, the free electrons, seeking to be whole and to be complete. This is a part of all things. It's wholeness that is ultimately connected to this idea of holiness. In his book, uh, Perfection and the Harmonics of Wholeness, Dr. David Brenner, Benner says this. I'm going to share this. This is a, a long quote. It's going to be like a couple of things to read, but stay with me because this is, this is so good, and it's like right on point with everything we've been talking about, just using slightly different language. He says, the harmonic of the universe is wholeness, not perfection. Does that sound familiar? More specifically, it is wholeness that involves differentiation. Fusion is a union that sacrifices differentiation. Wholeness retains differentiation. Without wholeness, we hear only the cacophonous noise of the various parts of, our, of ourselves clanging together. Without differentiation, we hear only the pure sound of a single tone, but not its harmonics. How do you know if you are on a path that leads to increasing wholeness and involves living out of wholeness? You will hear harmony, not simply the cacophony of a fragmented self. You will also sense the energy of the larger whole, an energy that goes beyond your own. You will at least occasionally experience the thrill of being simply a small part of a large cause. The thrill of being a tool seized by a strong hand and put to an excellent use. You will be comforted by knowing that we are all interconnected. In a very real sense, therefore, what you do for one another, you do for yourself. Love passed on to others becomes the most meaningful form of self-love, and care of the earth and its inhabitants becomes care of the self. We live wholeness when we remember our story and through it experience a deeper sense of being a part of a greater whole. We live wholeness when we know we belong to people, to a place, to a community, and tribe, to earth, to God, however named, and to the cosmos. We live wholeness when we know that we, we already have is enough and that we, all we need is to be resourceful with it. Living wholeness is participating in the dynamism of love that gathers everything together into greater unity and consciousness. It is to live with an openness of mind and heart, to encounter others, not as strangers, but as parts of oneself. When we enter into the heart of love in this way, we enter the field of relatedness and come to know our truest and deepest belonging and calling. Oof, that was a lot. I believe whether Dr. Dr. Benner realized it or not, he's describing everything that we talked about when we talk about God's intended reality, when we talk about the fullness of our humanity and what it means to step into that wholeness. His incredible words speak to the whole story of creation, which is ultimately pointing to and is, is the very reason why God calls all of creation good and he marks the day of completeness as holy, what we call this day of wholeness as holy. Did you catch the first line, by the way? The first line, the harmonics of the universe is wholeness, not perfection. 
The harmonic of the universe is wholeness, not perfection. What is this concept? What is this whole series based on? Isn't it that idea? Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, but that word is teleos, which means wholeness or completeness. Be whole and complete as your heavenly Father is complete. This is what Jesus tells us to do. This is what Dr. Dr. Benner follows up with saying that this whole thing, what was it? The, the harmonic of the universe is wholeness, not perfection. And what does that completeness and wholeness look like? Well, according to the story of creation, the opening chapters of the Bible, this picture of shalom, this picture of wholeness and completeness, it's everything that we're talking about, the proper relationship with God, with the self, with others, and with creation. This is God's intended reality. This is what it means to be fully human. This is how we experience the fullness of our humanity, which is to say that if we are living in a way that is rejecting or damaging or neglecting somehow one of these four essential relationships, then we will not be experiencing the fullness of the humanity the way that God designed. The fullness will be found when we live in sync with God's intended reality, proper relationship with God, proper understanding and relationship with the self, proper connection and relationship with others, and understanding our proper role within creation. Now, I, I want to I show you one more little thing here. I thought was kind of interesting. This is kind of wrap up this whole series, just a, a thought. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having this conversation with this really curious uh, Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he, they come to him in the middle of the night, he's asking these questions. And, and I want to show you this conversation here. <clears throat> um, he's asking about the kingdom of God. Uh, very truly, Jesus tells him, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, this idea, this phrase, born again, right, most of you probably know this one, I'm assuming. You know this idea, and it's usually connected with this idea of baptism, right? And that's great, that's wonderful. The idea being that you're, you're taken, you're immersed into the waters of baptism, it simulates, your, it's an image of your death, you're dying to the self, dying to the old self, you're being raised up to new life through these waters of baptism. You get it, it's wonderful, it's fantastic, it's a beautiful thing. But I had this thought the other day about this, and this isn't to minimize the idea of baptism or take away from it, just something to think about, maybe something to add to it, to the conversation. So Jesus says, be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. He says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, unless they are born of water and they're born of spirit. Now, throughout this series, we've been looking at the story of creation, the story of creation, which is a picture of wholeness and shalom, completeness, God's intended reality. And if you remember several, several, several weeks ago <laughs> when we were getting started in this whole thing, we looked at the story of creation through the lens or the idea of like, like this birth story. Do you remember this? That in the beginning are these like very womb-like conditions. There is water and there is darkness and then out of the water and darkness uh, there is the birth of all that is. Everything is brought forth from these conditions. Now when you look at the language here, between this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, what's he talk about? He talks about being born again, this idea of a, almost like a rebirth. Nicodemus mentions the womb of the mother. Jesus talks about birth and water and spirit. 
And what do we see in the story of creation? Womb-like conditions, water, the spirit is there, and life, new life is brought forth through all of it. Is it possible that this idea of being born again is, yes, connected to death of self and raised to new life through the waters of baptism, but that it's also reminding us about how the whole story got started in the first place? Is this idea of rebirth and being born again actually like a reminder of how things were in the very beginning? In the very beginning, when, when all of life was given birth, when, when there was completeness and wholeness, and where God said it was good, and where on the seventh day God said that it was holy, that there was the proper relationship with God, with the self, with others in creation. Is it possible that maybe this idea about being born again to see the kingdom of God is connected to this idea of reclaiming the story? Is it possible that it's about returning to God's intended reality for the self? To be born again is about dying to all the ways that you are disconnected from God, self, others, and creation. Being born again is about realigning the self with God's intended reality, with God's intended reality, which is in fact the fullness and completeness of your humanity, just as it was designed from the very beginning. So maybe there's this connection that when Jesus says be born again, he's calling us back to the thing that was God's intended reality, to be brought back into that proper relationship, God, self, others, and creation, to be brought back to the fullness through which all things were created, brought back to completeness, which was in God's intended reality, which is ultimately what you might even call teleos. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. So today I'd like to I'd like to extend a little bit of an invitation. We don't do this a whole lot, but I figured it was fitting in light of this conversation. I'd like to extend an invitation to reclaim God's intended reality for your life, to extend an invitation to teleos, to extend the invitation to be born again, to rebirth. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never been baptized, you find yourself in a place of disconnection, and maybe you find yourself looking for more, maybe you find yourself... Uh, looking for a deeper sense of wholeness, of completeness. Maybe this act of rebirth or being born again will allow you to reclaim God's intended reality for you. Right? If that's you and you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, we're going to have some people in the back. I know we have Kit Moody and Steve Moody and Kevin and Patty and Hank. They're all in the back there standing. In a minute, we're going to stand and sing. If that's where you're at today, they'd love to talk to you about that. What's that look like? If you're here today and you'd like to be baptized today, that's great. We got a baptistry right there. We've got towels and stuff. Um, we can do that now. Maybe you're here today and you just feel like something's off. Maybe you've been baptized, you've said yes to Jesus, but you're still feeling maybe some of these areas you've got some disconnect in. Maybe you just need some prayer. God, I'm struggling with my self-identity. Where are we at? I'm struggling with my identity within myself. Maybe you just need some extra prayer. They'd love to pray for you over that. God, I'm struggling in my relationships with my family, my friends, my community, whatever, feeling we can pray for that. I'm struggling with my identity. I don't know what to do with my life, myself. I don't know how I fit into this whole big thing. I'm, the world's all falling apart. Okay, let's pray about it. Maybe today you've been here and you've been baptized and maybe you don't need, you don't want prayer or somebody to know what you're going through. That's okay. This is a time for you. Maybe you just sit with that before the Lord. 
You take that disconnect and you say, God, I want to bring this to you. I want to reclaim the wholeness that I was intended to have. I want to step into God's intended reality for my life. That's fine too. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. This is time for you to think, to sort, to reflect. Wherever you're at today, whatever it is you're wrestling with, dealing with, lean into that. Lean into that. Kit and Steve are over here by the cross if you need prayer or want to talk about being baptized. Hank's in the back there. Mr. Kevin's in the back there. We're going to stand, give you this space, sing into this moment.